you have a little question. British accent. I like that. You get when you get there, you have a little British in you. I I noticed. But well, that's, 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 that's my, that ask the question. Have you had British in you? I've <laughs> never, I've never. Well, first off, nothing goes in me. I go in them. Oh, have you ever been in British? <laughs> no, but I would. It's only a pond you have to cross. Well, hi Aria, hi Lucy, how are you? I am fantasy come reality. That's my mind. I'm also doing fantasy come reality and I'm on a horse. We can see you this year, we're on video now. So, <laughs> here today on the Trans Narrative Podcast with Jessica Diamond. I'm so excited to have you here, Jessica, how are you? I am incredible. The first time I met you was at main event in Cincinnati back in 2021. So during the pandemic. Oh my god, it was. And did we wear masks? Did you enforce that? I don't I'm not I don't remember exactly when like I know when I met you. I don't remember what was happening as far as the pandemic when you came, but I remember meeting you and hanging out with you for a little bit. And did we take pictures together? We did. We have lots of pictures with the whole yeah, gang that night. Uh Danielle Hunter. The, a drag performer from Orlando was uh, performing the night that I went. She's one of my idols. I'm obsessed with her. I love her. What's that like to to book like such a like somebody that you're that influences your uh, your your career? Somebody. So special. I've learned in my life like sometimes if you put someone on a pedestal, they won't live up to your expectations. So mm. I watch everyone from afar, and I have people I I obsess not obsessed over, but I idolize. And then when I meet them, sometimes I'm really let down. So I go in with no expectation and I kind of just hope for the best. Um, but with her, for example, like she was, fun- I met her before, but she's like a drag mother, a drag um, leader. So she was like, even though I've been around for like a long time, 20 years in this in this business, she was still like, hey, you should consider doing this. And she was like being a mentor so it was really cool because I got to kind of like humble myself and I got to like be a child in her classroom and listen. How long have you been uh, doing drag? About 20 years. 20 years. So that takes us to 2000, 2003. Now, if anybody's listening to this and they're under 30, I've been doing drag for seven years and I'm still learning because I'm <laughs> only 27. <laughs> Not really. Now, so when I met you, you were at the main event and now you're at a place i have not been yet it's called bloom over the rhine yeah it's called bloom otr and it's an it used to be below zero the cabaret um which was a big nightclub here in cincinnati when it first started i was actually a part of that and then um penetration from rapal's drag race ran it for a long time and it shut down during the pandemic and then we just reopened it um so like when i when i found out they were closing I immediately reached out to the community like we have to keep the space like people love like for our LGBTQ world like we we lose a lot of our safe places and so I knew that was a place that like we all knew was safe so I was like let's reopen this let's get it better let's rebrand it and make it still feel like at home. What was the process like to get that started, like to get a business going during the midst of a pandemic? Well, I had to like convince people to like invest in me and trust that I could like make this bar really busy. So as it, the process was happening, I of course had to do some convincing and, you know, kind of prove who I am and what I can do. Um, but they immediately wanted me. So it was pretty easy. And then um, like they asked me a lot of questions, like how, how do I want the stage? How do I want the dressing room? So like they have um, people who are investing thousands of dollars into a business 
it asks you your opinion, it makes you feel worthy. It makes you feel like you're worth something. Like it made me feel like this isn't just some bar using me to pack and make money off of me really quick. It was someone actually investing in me and my time mm-hmm. in my career. Are you still showing up there then? Obviously yeah. After making such a yep. effort to keep them up in a up in a flow. Yeah, I'm there every single Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then we do brunches on Sundays. Aww. We have a place similar to that called Lips down here. Yes, I, are you in Atlanta? Where are you at? We're in San Diego. Okay, well, there's Lips Atlanta, Lips Chicago. So yeah, there's a lot of Lips. Yeah, we don't really have the biggest drag scene down here. It's trying to start up in a sense. Like there are a few places that have started now. Like um, do you go to drag shows often? What's up? Do you go to drag shows often? Yeah, because they're kind of rare down here. Like Hamburger Mary's does one, but I think that's also a chain. They do theirs like uh, every now and then. There's a, uh, besides Lips, there's, you'll get like little pop-ups here and there. Like Gossip Grill did one on one of the nights that we were there, but they didn't advertise it to like normal circles. So it's just suddenly we showed up and we're like, oh, there's a drag event going on and it's too late to get tickets. <laughs> Drag, like drag shows are super safe and there's a good place a good atmosphere it's agreed it's and it's for, it's for everyone it's not just for you know us it's for straight people too so i love that it blends societies and blends all types of people yeah that's why i'm surprised that like we don't have more of them popping up in places um especially since we're in california you, mm-hmm. you'd think that it, they would be like one on every uh uh corner with the way that uh the you know the right makes it seem that we're obsessed with them i'm obsessed with them because they're fun but yeah i think we're a little bit south of the good stuff here in san diego yeah up north we have west hollywood and we have san francisco but things seem a little bit more low-key around here and and you know we you still like to go to those and just be like oh shower with me with your dancing attention yeah anyone who goes to a drag show should know bring singles bring singles the best thing about Blue Mouse TR, where I work at, we have an ATM that dispenses singles only. So Ooh. you have no excuse not to have singles. And we have cocktail server drag queens who, you know, have singles with them as well that you can buy. So we make sure our audience is fully stacked. Oh, good. One thing about a drag show and a good show director and a good host is making sure your audience is, you know, fully prepared when it starts, making sure they're loaded with singles and make sure they have it keep flowing. Have you dealt with any pushback from the community for, um, um, everything I do because of who I am and because of the amount of following I have and support, there's always that negative part. So there's a lot of really bitter drag queens out there who, um, of course, don't like me. So, of course, I have pushback, but I really focus on the positive in my life. I don't let the negative ever bring me down or I don't focus much on it. I let it fuel me instead. So if they're like really upset with me, then I will do something gigantic just to like you know make them talk more now speaking of of who you are um did you always grow up in cincinnati is that where yeah, you were born northern kentucky yes right next to cincinnati so i grew up in cincinnati that's my hometown i spent 22 uh early years of my life there before moving uh away and it's been an adventure since then what inspired you to get into drift so um i was in high school, and I met this person named John. Her drag name was Nomi Love, and I happened to bump into her at a club, and met. I met her through my cousin, and she was dressing up. 
So as I got to know her, we started hanging out more. She was like, I want to put you in drag so bad. And she convinced me. I thought that like I would never do that. I seen it on like Jerry Springer. I seen it on TV. I thought it was like a clown. I didn't think it was something serious. And I was really trying to figure out my life. I thought I was just a cute little gay boy. I thought that like, and I was trying to do modeling. Um, and I was trying really hard to like focus on just being like a super hot gay boy. But um, as I met her, um, I started going to the drag shows. I was sort of dressing up and I was like, wow, this is actually way better than what I was focusing on. Um, so drag became like an outlet to become trans in a way. Like it, it helped develop what made me feel right in the head. Kind of because I was like, when I was walking down the street with holding my boyfriend's hand as two gay guys, it just didn't feel, I didn't feel, I almost didn't identify as like a gay, gay man. I just didn't, it didn't make sense to me a lot. But when I was dressing up and drag to go out to like bars and I would like hang out with guys. I'm like, oh, so I like the way that it felt being a woman with a man. So drag really opened doors for me when it came to like what was really happening inside my brain. So back, you know, when you were exploring uh, early on your identity, what kind of vocabulary was present in, in society and in your personal life? What, 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 what were you exposed to? Um, I, you were either just gay or you were straight. That's just kind of what it was. And if you were gay, you were, you know, a joke. People made fun of us. And in high school, I was super bullied. Um, I only had friends that were females. Once I like kind of came out, all my like straight guy friends, they all kind of dropped me and they were scared to be around me. They thought that because you're gay, they, they have this thing in their head to think they're going to, you're going to try to sleep with them. And I'm like, just because I'm gay doesn't mean I don't have standards and tastes. Like, <laughs> it's like, I'm not fam. You don't even shower. I'm not sleeping with you. Yeah. Like, you have nothing to worry about. Like, you're not my type at all. But those are the kind of guys that freak out. But um, just back then, it was not okay to be um, who you wanted to be. There was, especially to be trans back then, like, it was so silent and hidden. Like, I, when I remember oh, yeah. when, I, when I started transitioning, I remember I tried to, like, call doctors and ask questions. And all my trans friends were like, no, you got to do this in the, like the black market. You can't, they're not going to help you. So, um, back then I remember like, they all were like, okay, so we're going to put you in hormones. We're going to give you what we got. You're going to take that for like three or four months. You're going to start developing things. Then you go to a doctor and say, I'm already transitioning and they'll put you on hormones, especially if you're already in the process. So back then, to start, like you had to go through like all kinds of therapy sessions. You had to like um, get proof that you were possibly trans. And it was took a year or two to even get that process through. So I had to do the black market thing. So I bought hormones off the street from my friends and took them for a long time. And then I went to a doctor and was like, you're going to treat me. And they did. Thank God. You still have that initial barrier sometimes of them being like, oh, even though you're, you've already started, we're not, we, we don't help people like you essentially you have to really search around and a lot of word of mouth was how you would find what places were safe in order for you to transition because some places would just be like oh you're getting them illegally oh they're gonna have an issue with that well of course yes that's that there's that but um also my trans friends who are getting the medicine they already had a doctor so I knew uh, as soon as I got through a certain pro part of my transition that I can call and make an appointment and pray to God they can get me in. And uh, back then she actually treated a lot of us. Her name was Nina Walker and she actually accepted me and put me on the correct hormones and helped me start my transition in the most, in the, in the proper way. 
Now that was back, you know, before we had mainstream access to gender affirming care, before it was accepted among medical professions. Uh, what was it like, you know, as you were transitioning to see the world not even like bat an eye to to who you were? Um, I remember when I first started transitioning, I remember how hard it was and how difficult it was and um, how unaccepted it was. Then there was a point where it became really popular with like Caitlyn Jenner coming out as trans and um, people becoming more accepting. But what I'm learning now as of like currently today, I feel like the hate is more unreal and more, I can see the hate coming more right now than I've seen it five years ago, as well as like 10 years ago. It seems stronger out there. I agree that I think, I feel it's a pushback essentially, because you know how conservatives be there. They were very anti-gay until, you know, gay mm. people were getting their ability to get married and stuff like that. And then the right pushed really hard to prevent that. And then once, you know, we broke through, we broke through. And it's kind of happening now where it's like, oh, we have all these places that are accepting of trans people. It's the devil. This is the devil's work. And you're like, nope, nope, just a person trying to exist, fam. Yeah, it feels like we've made some major strides just in the last 10, 20 years. There, I feel like there's a lot less of that, that medical gatekeeping. There's still some of it there, but we've definitely made progress. Yeah, like, oh, thanks, what? As far as transitioning with, like, the medical world, I feel like, yes, it's more accepted. Doctors will accept you, things like that. But, like, I know, like, people are boycotting drag shows, protesting, like, brunches. Them. When children are there at, like, drag brunches, I know people are going to threaten to blow the building up if you do it, things like that. So, like, what I am currently seeing is there's a, there's a lot of hate out there for us which is yeah. scary, but also, there's also a lot of like love, which is incredible. It is kind of scary to see the places that are targeting as like active pushback. Like there's three states that are trying to make it to where in order to be on HRT, you have to be over uh, 21. And then there's two that are trying to make it 26. So it's kind of crazy to see that like the medical professionals are like, oh no, no, this is a valid thing that happens and we can treat this. And then you've got some whack jobs that are like, no, 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 no. This is all brainwashing. They brainwash the children. It's like a drag show is not gonna make you gay. Like I know plenty of people who've been to a drag show. None of them made anybody trans. And it's not like we're vampires biting people and turning them trans or like COVID cough on you and you got the trans. That's how they act sometimes though. Oh yeah, it's surprising how you know hard to masks. They're like, you know what, I'm not gonna wear a mask even though I can get me sick. But you know, then they respond to us as if we could cough on them and make them sick. Exactly. So uh that's actually, you know, I I I hesitated whether or not, you know, we should talk about this, but I was silly to think that we wouldn't. But uh so there is an, a push right now, but like 29 states, at least it was 29 last year. I'm certainly more it's 29 this year. But as of, I think, January 22nd, there were over 175 anti-LGBTQ plus bills being pushed by Republican lawmakers specifically. And it is, and, and you know, I've noticed, I made a fake TikTok account called MAGA Jesus Christ Q Alpha Male to follow like hateful, like to see what the algorithm was giving. And it still figured out that I was I was queer and that I, you know, um, hated capitalism and, and wanted to tear down the patriarchy. It somehow figured that out. I don't know how, but it did. And uh, it's atrocious, the rhetoric that's being pushed, especially by 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 
Peter or what is it? Tucker Carlson, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro. I 1000% agree with you. I see. I think there's so much hate right now. I think we made like 20 steps forward. And now we're like, even though we're ahead and doing well, there's so much hate building behind us. I think we should all turn around and pay attention to what's happening behind our back. I think that's a natural. I think maybe I, I don't know. I would just guess perhaps this is a reaction to, you know, progress is there's a, always a pushback from those that, that aren't ready to to move forward. So I, I guess this is a part of, you know, as we progress and become more accepting, there's, there's obviously going to be pushback, but it's incredible to see that there's not really, you know, I, I, I'm very thankful to the, to the activists and advocates that are going to the town hall meetings and protesting and, and whatnot, but there's not enough, conversation about this and it's just it's as if no one's holding republicans accountable for their actions yet they would lose their minds if if you say anything about god or or their party or anything you can't say a word but there they are invalidating literally murdering uh, uh trans youth by these by these atrocious bills and no one's you know i turn on the i turn on my podcast for the news and it doesn't nothing there's nothing about about this it's all about whatever they want you to consume there's no conversation about about the anti-trans bills and i think that's one big problem is that mainstream media even when they talk about it there was an interview with laverne cox about two weeks ago on the morning joe show on msnbc and in that conversation one of the one of the journalists even said connecting it to women's health which is what i prefer to call abortion because it's Absolutely. a woman's choice Absolutely. what form of health care part of the medical care for women it's the same issue. It's limiting what doctors can provide to individuals who have made a choice. Mainstream media then still perpetrates this negative. Well, and anti yeah, if you're ever in a position to be on a show like that and somebody does that, the best thing to do is be like, ha, 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 ha. no, 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 no. Protective rights. Like you, you really have to double down on shit because people, uh, people will do that left and right. I've literally had somebody in a recent things say something along the lines of oh you know i'm 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 all for inclusivity this and that but like let's face it what trans woman's gonna gonna worry about having to worry about abortion and i was like well there are trans men and there are non-binary people and you just really have to basically stomp on their toes to get them to shut up and be like let's correct you and your your inability to learn so I can hammer this through to you. When you try to double down, sometimes you have to look around and notice the room. They're just not listening. And sometimes no matter what you say, they're not going to hear you. So I think like the best thing when like Lover and Cox was on the interview, um, I I think what she noticed after she did her whole spiel and was like, you know, talking about what she was trying to say, I think there was a moment in her head where she realized there was absolutely nothing she was going to say that was going to make them respect her or hear her. Now that she backed mm -hmm. down, in any kind of way but that's what that's what i took from it i was like wow when you're in a room full of people who are just bigots what do you oh, do oh yeah see in those instances i don't i don't understand why anyone would go and talk to them you're like with people like that you're not going to even though the newscasters are sitting there with her they might not hear you someone out there is hearing you so even though mm -hmm. you're not being heard by those sitting next to you i think someone can and i think your voice should you should like she's a spokesperson for us she fights for us and i love when she speaks for us so 
I heard her loud and clear. It's even referrals. So in Arkansas, as well as this new law in Oklahoma, if you refer someone for gender affirming care, that can become a felony now mm -hmm. just to refer someone. So they don't want trans people to exist. That is really what this whole project is about. And you can't make us not exist. That just doesn't work. And, and I also want to, and this feels hyperbolic, but I thought a lot about it. And there's been a rise in anti-Semitism all over the country right now, and it's disgusting and it's horrible. People should know that um, one of the first things that the Nazis did, and I think it was in 1933, was they burned Magnus Hirschfeld's um, gender for se um, um, sexuality. Magnus Hirschfeld was studying um, trans people, LGBTQ people. Lily Elby, who um, the Danish girl, the film The Danish Girl was about, she had her first gender affirming procedure at Magnus Hirschfeld's clinic. The Nazis burned it down. All of this research. And there were um, LGBTQ people in concentration camps stamped with pink triangles. So, in this moment of a rise of anti-Semitism, we see this rise, this documented mm -hmm. rise in anti-trans legislation and rhetoric. These are not a coincidence. So we, as we fight anti-Semitism, as we fight for reproductive rights, we have to fight for trans rights as well. And they're on TV every day. We need to be more vociferous. We need to be more um, engaged in this. And I know trans people are a small part of the population, but it is not unrelated to everything else that is happening. Yeah. This is about justice and bodily autonomy for everybody. It's about freedom. You've We're Americans. It. Yeah. It should be about freedom. Well, I think that's why media representation is so important, because the more that we normalize uh, trans and non-binary people in television and movies and music, the more that we, we will see people for who they are. And I think that goes back to, you know, a lot of people who don't understand trans issues are, are more understanding when they have somebody close to them that, that goes through that experience and that through that <laughs> helps them see what they've been missing. I agree. There's a lot of hate within our community, though. That's the, that's another thing I think that we are not talking about is we attack each other. We're so quick to cancel each other within our own little tribe and our own little community that I think it's important that we kind of realize that we need to support each other. We should never pat people on the back for bad behavior. Um, so I understand all that. But at the same time, we have to remember that no one else is going to have our back like our like our sisterhood and our brotherhood of the trans community. Oh yeah, I've even seen it where some of our cis gay folk will shit on us and whatnot. I'm sure you've probably seen that as well, where like even walking in uh, on an area that's supposed to be super inclusive, you'll still get people saying shitty things and they'll be gay people. You'll be like, oh my God, it's this gay person is calling me a, a man. Hmm, interesting. I agree. So I think um, educating us and especially like the new generations that are coming up, like I have a nephew, he's like 12 and he just recently told us that he thinks he's trans and he decided what his like female name is going to be and he's asking us to start saying she and I just, I think there's a younger generation that's coming that if we can educate and teach them about love and making them aware of hate, but not spreading hate and having so much hate that they put out on the world. Um, and also it would educate us and teach us like, you know, sometimes we are super critical of each other and we are so quick to make comments about each other's hair or our makeup or something wrong with us or our weight or whatever like that. And I feel like we just should not have that much hate within our group. We should protect each other and uh, motivate each other and praise and 
things like that but yeah the first thing that comes to my mind are always compliments because you never want to cut someone down like find a reason to compliment somebody especially if they look good like girl your hair is fire oh thank you I agree I think, with that. I think you know that. And your makeup, I'm stealing mm -hmm. it. I'm stealing everything. You're going to wake up one day and be like, who is this clone of me on these random things? It's going to be me. Oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> She's so quiet. Who? Um, not you and not the ones. Oh, me? Hi. Aria. Hello. Yes, Aria, yeah. Aria. I, was, I, I, I was enraptured by what you were talking about. So, um, I do want to say, though, um, I, I feel like um, us to an extent are a little bit spoiled because we're we're over here in uh, California. What what what's been your general experience like with the the attitude towards our community and uh, around Cincinnati? As far as being trans? Yes. Yep. Um, I don't like the attitude with the like the queer people. No, um, like the attitude of like the the, the general public around yeah. around Cincinnati, because like to our image, um, once you leave California, it's pretty much like a a barren wasteland for trans folk because you know like it, it's basically Mad Max once you leave California to us. What's it like being in an area that is not as left leaning and being trans out in the open, essentially? Um. Honestly, like I don't, I don't know exactly what it's like for certain people, but for me, like I don't walk out the door and scream I'm trans. Um, I thankfully I feel like I'm pretty passable, so I never get like any negative reactions from like the outside world. So honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Have you considered wearing a pink, blue, and white shirt everywhere? No, I, I as a trans person, I've always. A little old school. I like to like blend the society. I don't really, I don't really walk out the door and want everyone to clock me and know that I'm was born a certain way. I want to blend as much as possible. Obviously, I'm. I know I'm attractive to a lot of people. I know that I have really large breasts and things like that, and I'm tall. So I know that I catch your eye, um, but I don't want you to double take or look close at certain things that might make you like question what I am. So I like to kind of like just blend in society and not get that much attention. So I've never, honestly, in my transition or my my transgender journey, I've never had experience where someone like out at me or clocked me or um, called me a dude in public. So I haven't had nothing bad happen in Cincinnati. So thankfully, yeah, I think it's another aspect that a lot of people uh, don't really consider because you'll hear it in a lot of left leaning circles where they'll say things like, "Oh, well, the concept of passability is." toxic because it conforms to this or that and it's like well the the, the uh, concept of passability to some of us means protection and being safe because if you're not very if you're very passable you're less likely to suffer some of these crazy egregious actions but if you're less passable typically you'll get treated poorly like even on um, a trip when I first started my transition I went on a trip to Arizona I literally had some old lady in um, a Walmart approach me and be like don't you think your mother's ashamed of you? And I'm just like, what? Who Who are you? Like, lady, I don't even know you. Like, why would I care about your opinion or what you think my mom feels? I don't even yeah. care what my mom feels like over my transition. Like, I, I know there's no, like, um rule to being trans now. Like, you know, when I first transitioned, there was, like, my, my trans friends and my trans mothers, when I first started transitioning, they were like, you know, you must have your nails done. You must always walk out the door being, you know, 100% 
um, you have to be tucked, you have to be pulled, you have to be like dressed to the tens and look nice. And um, you should always have like an earring, things like that. There's certain things I was taught about blending in a society so that you could like be passable. Nowadays, I see girls go out and they um, look like their born self. They don't put any effort into like um, getting dolled up to go outside and not be clockable I guess whatever which is fine but I see their Facebook posts about how they get clocked and people say things about them but yet they don't want to be passable they want to look like their born selves and I know I might not be saying that exactly correctly but um I think for me like my my, my journey like I want to blend I want to look I want to play the part I want to be a woman that's what I feel inside so I do exactly what makes me happy so I, I applaud anyone that's brave enough to um, not focus on the passable side of it. I think that that would be one of the hardest journeys in the, out think, there. Do you think the passability comes from the society that, you know, we built that there's strict rigor, rigorous like standards be like between the binary, that that there is no room between, that, that our society due to colonialism and, and whitewashing has been stripped of its identity to where there is no in-between and only what consumerism has created for what a boy and a girl is, is acceptable. I mean, I agree, yes. But I think if you, I think so within our, in our umbrella of the gay world, um, I think that we have, have a thousand different umbrellas now that we all kind of fit under. But I think in the straight world, they're very like um, man or woman, passable or not. They're very judgmental, things like that. So I feel like in our umbrellas, in our world, we're okay. But once we go into like the other worlds trying to blend the society, um, not everyone's accepting of all of our umbrellas. And even though we, like the they, them situation, like it took me a minute to learn that and to understand not to assume someone's pronoun. Like I had to educate myself. I'm not like 23 years old or I'm not like, super young. I'm a little older. So I have, I had to educate myself and grow. And I hear people in the straight world being like, they, them, what the hell? So I don't, I don't think there's a lot of education out there for them. And so for us to expect everyone to, um, educate themselves that quickly, I think it just takes a little bit of time so hopefully, you know, as time passes, we grow and they will be more accepting of all the passabilities or not passabilities, whatever. But I just don't think that the straight world understands it yet. Yeah, because I see that in the corporate environment. Like I've had people who are like, oh, I, under I understand the trans issue, you're transitioning, whatever. But the thing that I don't understand is like the gender fluid stuff or the they, thems and or the ZZ ears. Like I've literally had people validate me and then invalidate the other parts of the umbrella and it's like trying to explain that to them is really difficult because it's just not something that's um out in the open for straight people like yeah and it's yeah. weird because some of them will literally run into issues where they thought someone is trans or they them and turn out that like no that's a cisgendered person that you're technically misgendering because in straight culture they don't ask pronouns and stuff well i think that's I a, an, another thing that's that's you know a problem is is that um having these expectations of passability creates this rift between um you know between people trying to understand because i've i've had that where somebody insults you know 
another trans person, but then they're fully supportive of me or they're they're fully supportive of, of one individual, but then they they talk down about another because one looks more accepting and in, in what they can what what is their standards and and that's invalidating in itself. And I don't feel that when somebody says, Well, I support you, but I don't I don't know about the rest of them, I don't feel support. I don't feel like that. You're not supporting me if you're not supporting the community. And then, of course, you'll get from from the white cis guys. They're like, oh, well, that's the same. Then you tell if if you say the white people are racist, then that means they're all right. I'm racist, too. It reminds you how, like, far we think we're ahead. And you realize really quickly then that we're not that far ahead as we think we are. I think that uh, the backlash that we're seeing is there is... You know, because race and gender is very um, interconnected. I was watching uh, some things uh, recently about how intertwined they are and how how our system, by design, has has you know destroyed our ability to express ourselves. I didn't word that the way I wanted, but well, you're basically pointing out that there's an intersectionality between all these uh, oppressed groups and minority groups. And mm-hmm. by kind of isolating us and putting in a us versus them mentality, sometimes it, it breaks things down, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, oh, I support these groups, but I don't support these other groups. Like, human rights, but I only support them and not them. And it's like, well, right. technically, if you support human rights, you go for everyone to be included. However, you're sectioning it off as these people have a valid concern. These people do not. Mm-hmm. Like, I have people say literally, oh, yeah, you know, they'll make jokes about the letter mafia, which I like that term in a sense, because I think we should reclaim that and be like, yeah, I'm a part of the letter mafia, bitch, I'll beat your ass. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they try to use it derogatively, and I'm just like, mm, well, which part of us do you agree with? And like, oh, I, I, you know, I understand gay stuff. Like, there are gay people. You don't see transgenderism in the natural world and i'll be like well actually you see it in humans and here's some examples and this and that and then you know, once you find out they're not listening anyways they're just like all right well you have a good day being a, fuck, a fucking like loon i'm gonna fucking go the fuck over there <laughs> Bye. a little side note um really quick did, did, did is it does anyone remember why uh the l in lgbtq plus is is put first you're speaking of the mafia alphabet or how you phrased it so it got me thinking about the acronym in general the for the lgbtq plus is actually uh after the night or you know during the aids uh epidemic uh you know when nurses and and institutions refused to to help uh aids victims the the only people that were stepping in were were lesbians and so mm-hmm. in the 90s they decided that to, to honor you know that they uh, put the l first in the lgbtq plus so well, I remember when the T was so silent. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, the T was so silent. And I was like, okay, this is weird. Like, hi, we're over here. But yeah. Yeah. When I grew up, I remember hearing, you know, in my in my young days, it was LGB, the LGBT, the LGB community. You know, they didn't even they didn't even put the T on it. But well, as in some I places grew, it was just lesbian, uh, was it lesbian gay or lesbian straight alliances? They wouldn't say LGB. They'd be yeah. like, Oh, it's a lesbian. Uh, lesbian straight alliance area. Thing that kind yeah, of when, as I as I grew up, I the uh, the 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 acronym got extended. It was LGBT and then LGBTQ and then LGBTQ plus and LGBTQIA plus. So it's just the more I learned, the more it the more it grew inclusive. 
And you're saying, Aria? Yeah, I, I think that goes back to the uh, the infighting within the queer community we, we touched on a little bit because there, there was a period where cis, lesbian, and gay people, they felt like trans people didn't properly conform to these standards that we needed to conform to and that that was holding the movement back. But luckily, we've we've opened up a bit since then. Yeah, because there was also some discourse for a while where they were like, well, this shouldn't be a part of the LGBT thing solely because then it turns into a straight couple and blah, blah, blah. And it was it was weird. Those were weird times for America. We were really trying to figure with the amount of hate out there. I kind of wish that there was a way. And I don't know how to say this properly. So if I say anyway, I don't I don't mean it like that. But there was a time period like in the 80s and 90s where like it was gay pride. Mm-hmm. And it was like everybody was under one word and it didn't mean there was all these different umbrellas and different letters and things that fit each of us. But gay just kind of went together and we had people who were not gay that were supporting us that marched with us and things like that. I wish there was a new way to put us all together um, and we can like walk together with pride and fight for each other and support each other. Like, like it ha- whatever happened back then, I wish there was a new movement now where we would all be together again and support each other. Um, yeah, they had like, one. It was called Saga. Um, recently, it was maybe like five years back. They were trying to use Saga instead of the long, because you know the acronym's been growing as you know we've been figuring things out. Like now it's LGBTQI plus or IAA what is it iaaqi plus so they're like well the acronyms get longer let's just use saga to be all inclusive but a lot of people didn't rally under the term because there wasn't there you know there's no centralized movement there's no like pope of the gays but i myself we're gonna keep growing and put more letters in it so what are we gonna do when it's like when i um sorry the audio Okay, well, to, to me, I, I like lately I've been kind of just using gay as like the overall, like, you know, like with straight people, they're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm gay because it's just, I don't want to sit there and like talk well, to like them queer, about queer everything. Kind of works in a way, like queer, the word queer kind of fits all of us in a way. It's a queer space, things like that. But like, yeah, I'll use that too. Oh, I'm just I part do. of the queer community. I was going to say that. I thought, I felt, you know, I didn't, maybe I'm old school and thinking, you know, but queer, the queer community just, it's, it's, it's quick. I guess it's just for the sliding off the tongue, the queer community, just, mm-hmm. I don't find that to be offensive because that's, I, I guess reclaiming, we've reclaimed that. Term. Well, yeah, that's because a, nowadays I, it has been reclaimed, but back in the day, it used to be like a, essentially a social death sentence and yeah, it was a slur. Queer and fag kind of went together. Like if you were, yeah. you were, I remember being called, you're a queer, you're a faggot. So I remember those being like words that was used against us. We kind of like now own, own it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that word is like the word, I don't know what it is. I just wish there was a, a way that we can all be together again. I feel like we're so separated with our own letters and our, we're like, all these little umbrellas have all like separated us so much that if somehow we can be together again, it would be beautiful. Well, we have well, straight. We we have straight community. We could have the curved community. Well, <laughs> we I, I think the the usage of the queer community is actually becoming more prevalent, and then slowly over time, I think it'll reband back together because that is what people are using nowadays. Like I've I've heard plenty of places just being like like we have a um they call it the lgbtq alliance on our slack for one of for the one of the companies i'm at and it's like 
everyone in it just refers to themselves as a part of the queer community. Like there's no reason yeah. to go outside of that for that. Cause it's like, it's one big umbrella that we all fit under and we can all talk about issues. And um, in one instance we did, we talked about someone who they were elected to a board and we're like, no, we, we, none of us feel comfortable with that. And they actually reversed the decision because of that. I agree. So what, um, in, in our fight for, you know, acceptance and visibility and understanding, what would you encourage, uh, your followers and listeners to, to do? And what would you do to, to advance acceptance for our community? That's something we've talked a lot about in this last few minutes. Um, I, again, like I, we do this whole like gay pride or this, uh, pride event every June, all of us do these huge festivals and things like that. I almost feel like there was some education that happened during um, the Black Lives Matters movement where almost that we should march and we should almost like make a statement that we're here instead of like celebrating and um, having like these huge festivals. That's great, but I feel like there should be something else where we not protest, but march and make a statement and let society know that we're not victims. We're not um, people that you can just target. We will stand together and we will fight. We will protest. We will, you know, we will not back down. Um, I think that somehow we say like, we're going to, you know, you can't hurt us, but really we kind of hurt each other. And then they hurt us. So like, in a way, we all just kind of like, hunch over and just pray we don't get hit in the crossfire things in a way i wish we can protest again march together somehow i don't know exactly the right wording for that but that's that's kind of the best way i can describe what i feel like a march for visibility yeah i feel like we used to do that why don't we do that anymore i think the only reason that we kind of stopped as much as solely because of um first there was the uh, COVID and then a lot of people just feel more comfortable at Pride doing it but it's like you should do it no, year like, round <laughs> well Pride Pride to me is more of a celebration it's not I agree. More, it's not a protest it's not um, a movement where we're saying leave us alone it's more of like a celebration of us just all getting like drunk and partying and watching drag shows and celebrating and dancing and forgetting about the hate when I think that we should focus that day should be like a, a protest day, like a March day. I could be saying that kind of wrong, but I'm just, just how I feel. No, I think you're saying it absolutely right. Uh, when, you know, I think that a lot of people in the queer community have come to realize that their lives are now, you know, political by nature. There's no choice about it because we live in, in an atmosphere that's, that's very dangerous and we're not safe. You know, the the um, Homeland Security issued a, a terrorist uh, warning for our community that we were under threat last year back in November. So it's heightened alert. And what would you say to, what, what, what would you encourage us to do in regards to like advocating for education for you know cisgendered people to, to because that's really i guess the root i mean the root of it is hatred you know republicans aren't going to stop doing what they're doing but there's there's an opportunity with all of our platforms to educate and unfortunately that's what we don't have a choice you know when 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 i was planning the show i thought well how can we is there a way to have fun and not be political but really at the end of the day we are at a time where if we don't do something 
future generations won't get to experience life like we had it like in 2010 for like five minutes. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, it's real. Um, I honestly think that we should pause for a second, look at the Black Lives Matters movement, see how they did what they did. Because I remember, um, I remember for a moment I was watching and I started hearing uh, people talking about it like loudly, like in, in a positive way. So I feel like that was a moment where we kind of can educate ourselves on how to band together um, and fight for our rights and fight for our, you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like that was a big educational moment. So I think if we looked at that and did our own version, it could be really impactful. This is Athena Primakis with the Trans Narrative Podcast. Each week, we're going to take a segment called Capturing the Narrative, in which we're going to examine some of the laws or attitudes in culture and how they would affect us uh, as trans people, to tell it from a personal story, but about some of the broader movements. Each week on the Trans Narrative Podcast, we want to highlight a piece of the bigger stories that impact our lives, the laws and attitudes and cultures that can help or hinder us as transgender people in the United States. The stories that cisgender people want to tell for us or about us are going to be missing in critical details. They won't help us to clear up our perspective. We want to show how we've struggled, how we are struggling, and also how we will overcome. This week, coming back from the holiday break, we had a significant bill signed into law that affects not only transgender people, but all LGBTQ plus people as a whole, uh, the Respect for Marriage Act, and it secures the right for same-sex couples to marriage. It's a landmark, <laughs> landmark victory, and one that reverses previously signed bills such as the Defense of Marriage Act from 96, which defined marriage only between a man and a woman. Uh, but it contains an exception to allow for discrimination in the administration of marriages or celebration. Um, so there are still states that can actually have overarching discrimination. So I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of share some personal experience from the inside of what uh, religious exemption, what that means to me uh, through my history with religion. I'll try not to thump on the Bible too much, but it is time to bully the pulpit. I was born into the faith, um, Christianity, uh, like specifically like really white Protestant Christianity, um, uh, basically Baptist convention, uh, but my dad was in a part of a non-denominational church that was more accepting of divorces because he had divorced my mom. So Protestantism differentiated itself from Catholicism because Henry VIII wanted to divorce his wife uh, and remarry. Um, and then Southern Baptists are sort of distinguished from other pieces of mainland Christianity because they were formed on the idea that uh, slavery was the right thing and they opposed interracial marriages until 1995. Uh, there was a movement of racial reconciliation that my dad was a part of for some time that was sort of interdenominational uh, promise keepers movement. And it was like a wholly like hyper-masculine uh, kind of Christianity. Uh, people would like swear to only be, oh, it was only men, but it would be swearing to, you know, reject pornography, be only faithful to their wives and things like that. I signed on to that, and right after I did that, I went to a Christian high school. 
And I had to struggle a lot between the differences between multiple Christianities. Uh, there were some movements like the Promise Keeper that tried to bridge the divide, um, but there were still people who would visit a different church that wasn't seen as mainline, and, and they'd be rejected. We had rules on purity for music, movies, friendship, of course, sex, uh, abstinence only, don't even kiss until you're married. That's what I grew up with. It felt miserable and oppressive, but I followed the rules as best as I could do. Um, I lived a prescriptive life, according to the Bible. The whole time, I felt that my body wasn't my own. It was promised to someone or something else. I found a girl who I fell in love with, who I still am in love with, and I married her very young. I tried my best to express my dysphoria to her, to find a place of peace about with her, but uh, at that point, it was we were too young, and it wasn't until much later that we were able to kind of accept and move forward with transition. It was just last year. Uh, we had two kids, and on the day the second one was born, though, I knew that um, the dysphoria wasn't going away, and transitioning at that point would take away my marriage. Same-sex marriage wasn't legal. It would be disruptive of my ability to parent to my children. So uh, Part of the reason why I held myself back was just one more barrier until 2014. Uh, that was the first time in my state that it would have you know, allowed me to maintain my marriage. Uh, and still transition. There were other barriers in the way, too, but just one of those. And it was rolled back almost as soon as I decided to transition, or at least it was threatened to, by the Roe versus Wade overturning. This is when politics is going to become much more granular. We're going to have to catch all of these laws and see where the exemptions can come through. Uh, we've got a lot of different bills that are going to be passing through that are just basically about bodily autonomy and the autonomy of people to marry and relate to who they want, to raise children as they want. There are already multiple bills uh, in eight different states, at the very least, to uh, prohibit people from adopting or fostering children. Um, and that kind of oppression meets the criteria that you start to see for transgenocide. And I realized as I, I saw some of the rules for that, that I'd always had this specter of that looming over me, that I would be alienated from my friends, my family, my children, the first people I ever knew about in my life who were transgender, simply disappeared. And it was one of the most important things to me when I, I began my transition, to not lose anything to continue and maintain a sense of identity, a holistic one. I wasn't changing my love for my wife. I wasn't changing my worldview any more than it had already been changed. And maintaining these sort of secure relationships is very important to me. Very dear people to me would be impacted if my marriage were interrupted or my ability to get health care. Uh, for for my wife and children through my marriage uh, were hindered. And the ability to strip away these rights just by allowing individuals to refuse from doing their duty is a toxic behavior that is against the pluralism that we find ourselves in culture. Because that could happen not just because of gender, that could also happen because of race. And that was the case for Southern Baptists until 1995. Trans rights are civil rights. This is the same fight. Um, and I can't emphasize that enough. We are in a position to make our voices heard because what religious exemption means is that the hatred that we will experience in our personal lives, uh, the discrimination that we'll face from you know, sometimes the people we trust, sometimes just news outlets, sometimes doctors, um, 
it's going to get more intense and, and it's going to be allowed to be more intense unless we uh, stand up and you know unite uh, in strengthening our voice together this is our opportunity to do that um, as these laws come out as you might be impacted by them or just as the fear of it uh, the fear itself is is almost the news that uh, gets across we want to see the overcoming of that fear uh, piece by piece in legislation and, and this isn't a great victory uh, let me quote from uh, Human Rights Watch because uh, the reason why it's not a great victory isn't because it wasn't a good piece of legislation but it's just a reversal of a Supreme Court victory by a Supreme Court that's bound to roll more and more back and we're going to have to be playing these politics with every single issue that we need to so uh, Human Rights Watch writes this despite this progress federal law does not expressly prohibit discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity in fields like employment housing and access to services and fewer than half of the states offer explicit protections for LGBT people at the state level statements made by legislative supporters on the laws and in some states content of the laws themselves moreover make it clear that they aim to push back against the recent gains toward lgbtq equality and to dilute the rights of lgbt people uh, to secure protection from the individ individual's discrimination uh, they send a signal that state governments enacting them accept and even embrace the dangerous and harmful notion that discrimination against the lgbt people is a legitimate demand of both conscience and religion particularly in states that lack any underlying laws prohibiting discrimination against LGBT people. Many of the laws are not exemption as much as a license to discriminate. The undertone for these exemptions should be clear, and it's not just to remove people from public life, uh, but from private life as well. We've seen threats increasing. Uh, from private individuals and that prejudice being allowed to bleed over uh, into just everyone's affairs is going to be toxic I still hold to some of the good things that I see in the Bible and I feel that anyone who still wants to call themselves a Christian should be engaged uh, in trying to detoxify the misogyny the homophobia, the transphobia the discrimination, the colonialism that's gathered itself around the Bible uh, the Bible itself almost doesn't have these original terms that he just have accreted on because of the cultural phenomena of the church. Uh, the more people we can get to look at the church as, in their, as an institution rather than as a uh, dictator of what true uh, or truth or, or beauty or goodness is, um, I think the more we can find common ground with these people. I've sat through a lot of religious services. I've felt a lot of those uh, deep spiritual feelings and I feel that those should be available to everybody the only thing that's different uh, for me right now is that I'm able to enjoy uh, without anxiety panic attacks insomnia uh, because of the chemical difference in my body um, and if I had sought through my religious leaders and they had provided me with this as an opportunity I might have remained a believer but this was never on the table for me so remember we're already in your churches. There are commandments that say, love your neighbor. We are your neighbors. But uh, Jessica, at this point, we normally ask some heavy hitting questions. Nothing that are curveballs. We're not going to be like, what is the square root of the hypotenuse of an isosceles triangle? The base is one. Um, but it's basically questions that are based off of the greatness that you've given us today. 
So one of the ones I like to ask is now that we know, oh, yeah, Sorry. now that we know what you your plans for the future is, it's more like a how far are you willing to go to see your you know the future you'd like come to fruition? I mean, I um, I want to go. I want to go to the to the end of the world. Like I feel like like for example, there was a shooting that happened. Um, at gay bars there's a bunch of them that's been happening so yeah. like going to, going to my show every night there's a second in my brain where i think okay if this happened what am i going to do and um i always make sure i announce on the microphone like where our exits are and things like that in case of emergency in case of a fire in case of someone coming in trying to hurt us um so i feel like you know i do my best to always put on a brave face and go out and do my shows and my shows are not just about making money and about like my career it's about um bringing people together creating a safe space um doing our best to educate and to evolve so i feel like i do that every single day i put forth effort to always um create an atmosphere where people feel safe yeah and to point out the money thing i know a lot of people are like oh if they're doing it for fun why do they need to get paid bitch there are nurses who love what they do you still got to eat at the end of the day like mm -hmm. you need money to be able to live and you need money to be able to eat some good goddamn food well like for um, example this, this wig cost me six hundred dollars so like when when i'm making money off my shows or whatever whatever i'm doing i am putting forth i'm putting a lot of money back into my drag to make sure that my costumes are always incredible new shoes i buy probably like three new costumes almost a week i constantly am investing in my looks so when they tip people tip me i'm not just taking that and going and buying things that are not good i'm putting forth my living as well like i pay for my home and things like that but i also put a lot of that money back into my shows to make sure i'm always evolving and growing i hope you know that's also a tax write-off i mean if the wealthy can get get away with it you should be doing that too like you need to write that yeah. shit off on your taxes girl yes 100 now my next question and my last one is essentially are you with what you've said, you know, there is an element of danger. Um, are you okay with the with the idea that all these seeds you've planted might come to fruition like after you? Because your job is dangerous. Let's let's not forget that, you know, there are people who are doing acts of terrorism. There are people shooting these places up. Like you could die doing what you do. So are you okay with knowing that the seeds you planted may fruit like way down the road or yeah i'm okay with it i'm okay with like if i was to be in a situation where that did happen to me during my show of course that'd be devastating i don't i don't want my life to end i love my life and i love you know what i do and i love my family and i don't i don't want to go anywhere but um if it happened I will go out with the biggest bang to protect everyone in that room. And I would go out with the biggest bang to make sure that everyone's safe. I would 100% risk my life for our community. That's great. And um, I wanted to ask, based on your personal experience with finding yourself, what is, what is a message that you'd like to give to younger people in our community who are also trying to find themselves? Um, remember that people have to transition with you. Yes, we are transitioning. Yes, this is gigantic to discover who we are. And it takes us such a long time and so much depression and so much um, hate. But um, just remember that people have to educate. They have to, like say when my, my, my niece that's transitioning now, 
like I try to tell her like you have to be patient and understand people have to transition with you so like don't expect your mom and dad to say she tomorrow it takes a second be patient be kind and it will happen that's great and uh, the most important question of all is there a version of your wig that costs less than six hundred dollars the plastic ones that you can't flat iron or wear every day and need to buy new ones constantly because the ends get fried really bad. What would you like to achieve in the next five to 10 years in your career, in personal life? I would love to be a club owner, a nightclub owner. I think that, um, I think our safe places are, the more that we bloom into this beautiful flower of being accepted and things like that, I think our queer spaces are all leaving. I think like in 10 years, it's possible gay bars will be gone. Um, people can go to anywhere. They can go to any club. They can go to any bar. Um, they don't have to go to queer spaces and safe places anymore, 100%. So I feel like we're going to lose that. And I think for the kids that are five years old that are going to grow up and become 21 years old and want to have a safe place, they're not going to be here anymore. So I would love to somehow create more safe places for us because when they all turn against us, we're going to need those little bars and those little clubs that we can go to that are ours, that are that are for us. Um, so I'm I'm really afraid for the future when it comes to the gay nightclubs. Let me follow that up with, um, you know, with with we're seeing all of these uh, legislative bills and these uh, these awful um, remarks being pushed by by the media do you 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 say you're afraid for the future can you elaborate on on how you like how does that make you feel looking to the future do you have hope i yes i have a lot of that's why that's why i want to be a club owner i want to own my own club i want to produce a drag show that has never been produced in our city before and i want it to evolve i want to create a space that's for everyone but mostly for us um i am very aware I look behind myself all the time. I see danger coming. I think that we are about to be under attack. I think that there are coming after us harder and harder. And the more that we pretend that life is perfect and that we are um, under all these different umbrellas and we attack each other and we don't focus on what's coming, we're in a lot of trouble. So I would love it if we start paying attention to what's coming. I think we're how do you think we can how do you think we do that you know as a as as somebody that's you know beginning their transition or in the midst of there or is 40 years in you know what would you say to to the community in response to you know what are we going to do realistically about you know these this onslaught of, of attacks this is only going to get worse and it and and if we study history we can see uh parallel to to what happens when books are banned and and the media is silenced and and the media then pushes you know toxicity and and dehumanizes a group of people we've seen what that does and uh we're, we're, we're certain to talk about that in further further episodes uh but what what um what are we going to do realistically like what do you advocate for our community to do i think it is important that we go back to our roots we need to pause for a second and look up what happened at Stonewall back in the day. Look at how Pride Parade started. 
look at the history of like the lesbian community, the reason why the L is first, what they did for society back then. Um, look at the AIDS epidemic and how we were treated. And I think that we need to look at history. We need to educate ourselves, look at other movements and how they're progressing. And we need to really understand that even though we believe that we are so much farther, I think that we're almost back to the beginning at some point in some ways. And I think it's important to look at what our ancestors and our friends and our grandfathers and aunts back in the day did for us. And I think soon, once we're fully under attack, I believe then we'll, we'll, we will unite. It will be, we will be forced to unite. And that's when I think the spaces and the places and the people that our leaders and in our communities will um, have to like, you know, protect us, which I believe that's why I want to, that's why I want to own a gay bar. I want to own a space that is for everyone um, that makes you feel at home and safe and protected. And we have precautions and we have, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I think it's coming. I think that we should, Eventually, we're gonna. I think we're gonna get pushed together once we get attacked, on a bigger level. And until that happens, I don't think we're we're gonna come together. Well, it was nice to meet the two of you over there. Thank you for being here today with me. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure. I followed yeah. you on TikTok, by the way. Oh, please come in. I'm on there all the time. I will be yes. following you on TikTok. I am technologically declined because I'm old. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, how do I type on this? There's no keyboard. It's a common joke out here that it's in, in most of the younger trans circles that all trans femme are bottom. Oh, I am a very dom top, like hardcore. <laughs> if you don't believe me, go to my OnlyFans right now and subscribe. And then oh. the truth will be revealed. Now, do I bottom? Of course. I don't like it. I hate it, but I do it. Hey, everyone. It's Caroline. If you like what you just heard, be sure to tap the notification button to get updates on the newest episodes. And head over to YouTube at youtube.com slash the Trans Narrative Podcast for full interviews and behind-the-scenes content. Also, check out our TikTok channel at the Trans Narrative Podcast for extra content. Be sure to like and follow. For more details about the episode you just heard, make sure to go to the description linked below. Find us on Facebook, Apple, Google, Spotify, and YouTube by typing in the Trans Narrative Podcast. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. New episodes drop every Saturday, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Anchor, the easiest way to upload a podcast. If you'd like to reach out or be a guest on the show, be sure to reach out to us at the Trans Narrative Podcast at gmail.com. That's the Trans Narrative Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. This episode was recorded on January 28, 2023, via Zoom. The show was co hosted by Aria Lackey. Caroline Penny, and Lucy Bazana. The featured guest was Jessica Diamond. Capturing narrative segment brought to you this week by Athena Primakis. This episode was edited and produced by Caroline Penny. 
research provided by Athena Hermachus, music provided by Infraction Music titled Goodbye. Capturing narrative segment music and the music you hear now are produced by Athena Hermachus. This episode was brought to you by Anchor.fm by Spotify. Mm-hmm.